Welcome to the Net and Sarah Show, where we aim to touch, move, and inspire you every single week. Really? We're really going to introduce our own show? Maybe we should leave it to the pro. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. One second, ladies. Here we go. Sarah Maxwell and Natalie Cook are experts in visualization and deliberate use of the law of attraction. As dynamic world athletes representing Canada and Australia in beach volleyball, they honed in on achievement at the highest level. With Natalie winning an Olympic gold medal on her home beach of Bondi is a pinnacle example. Their powerful techniques transmute the spiritual to the tangible, allowing thousands of their community members to bring their vision boards to life. Recently, they have returned from their full-time family adventure in Europe and are now grounding down in Australia where they are focused on all of you. How can your dream become reality this decade, perhaps even this year? Not only do Nat and Sarah bring us their three-step manifestation process complete with downloading worksheets, but also their realities of failed attempts and some of the frustrations that color their path. They believe that this life journey was never intended to be jolt-free, but rather a powerful trip down the raging rapids of life. Each week, the Nat and Sarah Show will navigate the epic lives of their mentors to uncover how they use their own manifestation process to produce dreams that are available to us all. Are you a member of the community? Go to bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah Show to download your three-step journal to follow along with each workshop-style teaching episode and get ready to take action on your inspirations. Today, we continue the conversation with a parent educator and psychologist who combines her leading edge neurological understanding with the compassion of being a parent of two young children. Founder and director of the Wishing Star LaPointe Developmental Clinic in Vancouver, Canada, Dr. Vanessa LaPointe is a best-selling author and is frequently featured on Parent TV in North America. So I just decided I'm going to call her Dr. V. I mean, I didn't clear that with her, but I just felt like I needed to call her that. She sounds like a superhero. <laughs> I but Dr. V, she, seriously, she wowed Nat and I two years ago at a parenting conference when she put up these images of the neural network of a growing child's brain and then brought us all, you know, the audience on this journey of what parenting currently looks like and then what it could look like. So her groundbreaking books, Discipline Without Damage and Parenting Right from the Start, begin to question many long-held beliefs around parenting. And then she systematically proves the validity for what I'm calling connection parenting. Our family was definitely on a collision course with the often practiced timeouts and other disciplinary tactics that involve you go to your room alone until you're sorry. And so that very day, we shifted our overall parenting approach and are beyond grateful that we did that because I led, and I'm just using the I here because, you know, Nat may have different ideas, but my current connection with my four-year-old, you know, this very pivot is the reason why where I would have prided discipline, it would have provoked disconnection. So my current connection with my four-year-old, I really want to Thank you for that, because I think that's why we've got this amazing relationship. I love that. Oh, it's just really, I do see it was really a turning point. My mom had introduced the timeout um, while we were in Canada. And then we, I remember coming home and Nat and I going, why do we do it again? 
because we <laughs> never talked about it. It was just sort of this like natural approach that a lot of people use. And, and we were literally saying to ourselves, do we want her to like feel bad on the chair for two minutes? Is that the whole idea? And I remember the philosophy of it, us being really uncertain. And maybe two weeks later, we sat in that room with you. And that was really great because there was definitely uncertainty. Um, but your compassionate approach, I feel, is what really opens parents up to a new way of thinking. And, you know, it more closely, your, your approach closely parallels the science, you know, of brain development rather than potential patterning from our own upbringing. So, you know, it's the fact that you have two kids yourself, you are navigating a life post-divorce, you know, a real reality that so many parents can relate to. Um, I get that you may be smart as a tack, but your humanity is what really brings the realness to, to what you share. So I'm super pumped. I have a million questions, but I've committed to a timeline. So if you're up for it, you ready to jump in? Let's do it. And thank you for all of that. Thank you. You're welcome. So if sorry, guys, that you can't see her. She is looking hot off the press. She's ready for an event tonight. I am not looking so hot off the press. So, and look, I want to present a scenario where I definitely was not hot off the press. So this is a real true story of about a year ago when my daughter was three. Um, I thought we could all grow from the guidance that you might give me. So are you okay if I give you a scenario? Let's do it. All right. So a lot of our listeners know we lived in Switzerland for a year and living there, my impression of the kids there was they are on sedatives because they're so quiet and behaved. Sorry if you're Swiss, I'm happy to hear how you guys do it. But I want to say that because the context is that my, my expectation of mothering was heightened. Like this environment really shifted my own expectation. So we walk off a train as you do in Europe and we're in this bakery and we're all excited. It smells good. We're feeling so European. There's croissants happening. Jordan, little Jordan is seeing all the cakes and pastries in the window and like, so she's over there looking at that. She's excited. She thinks she's going to order everything. And we're ordering in French some lunch because we're really hungry. Suddenly, crunch. And like, it's just like this reaction. I turn around and all I see is Jordan in the middle of like jam, cons you know, conserve, whatever they were, some jam thing. Like, like, let's say 30 bottles of gems. And I'm like, how did that happen? And I look, the glass is still there with the cakes. I, I don't get it. I don't know what's going on. But my reaction was immediate and instant. And it was to make sure the lady at the bakery wasn't mad and that we would pay for everything. It was like, I just was like, leave Jordan over there. And that is like jumping at Jordan. Who cares about this lady? Who cares about Switzerland? And I'm like just trying to navigate all these people. Oh my God, what's happened? Look what I've done, you know? So, um, and I'm just going to give a little more because I got frustrated with Nat in the moment that she wasn't apologetic. <laughs> she wasn't even acknowledging the lady. The lady was angry, by the way. She was frustrated because that's cultural a little bit too. Um, and so she wasn't trying to make me feel better. She was wanting me to know how annoyed she was. And... Um, Look, only an hour later did I start to replay the scenario, get some more clarity, but look, I would like to hear how you would guide a newer parent like me in a scenario that I could have honored my family more. Hmm. That's 
such a beautiful scenario because I think it sort of shines the light so epically on what I uh, talk about as kind of the three essential components of how we really need to be parenting in order to raise our children up exactly as nature intended. And those three components are that attachment and relationship must be at the heart of everything, that we have to really consider developmentally where the child is and put the bar where they can jump, and that we have to understand our own programs that lurk ever ready underneath the, the surface and will come flowing out of us, uh, usually in a barf-like manner, all over our children uh, in moments when we've been sort of triggered into an alarm kind of reaction. And so I would think about that day, first of all, because she's three. So we know right away she has no frontal cortex, which means she is not managing her impulses and very unlikely to stay regulated in a moment when she's hungry. And when there's all this amazing stuff all around her. So she would be like a kid in a candy shop unable to keep her hands off of all of this stuff, um, which is really perfectly lovely for when you're three. It's exactly what we would expect. And so we put the bar exactly where she can jump, which is she's not going to be able to manage herself in that situation in terms of not touching things and whatever sure. else. Sure. So we see that uh, and we know that she can't change that no more than she can change the color of her eyes. We can't command her to grow like a like all of her frontal cortex functioning on the spot. That's sort of onboarding um, until time a child's around age seven-ish, then they have the wiring up front to be able to manage their impulses. So we know she's little, so we know her behavior is really lovely and normal, and she is not to be made wrong yeah. for being the very one who she is. Okay. She is three, so we just honor her for being three. The second piece is that attachment or relationship is at the heart of everything. So what we want, because now all of this has come crashing down around her and she's going to know right away, like, oh, snap, <laughs> what just happened? How do I fix this? I don't think this is okay. So she's going to be in a state of alarm, which yeah. means her immediate reaction is going to be to pursue proximity, which means she's going to want to be close to her safe, big people. You guys right? She's going to want to feel held emotionally and even physically. She's going to want to know that it's all going to be okay. And so she's going to go into a state of alarm, which will mean she's going to engage in some pursuit behaviors. Uh, pursuit behaviors might be actually approaching you, but they might include things like crying. It might even include things like being really angry and name calling for some children. Yeah. And Beyond all of that, so we've talked about development. She's normal. We've talked about attachment. What she needs is you. Yeah. Third thing is you can know all of those things. And this was my experience as a mother. I mean, I knew attachment was the be all and end all. And I knew everything there was to know about development and what sort of appropriate expectations for my children. And yet I would still yell at my children. And I would still find myself in those kinds of situations, getting kind of frustrated and acting in ways that I didn't want to act. So there's a difference between knowing something and being something. And this is where understanding that you have programming uh, embedded deep within your own psyche 
that comes to the surface becomes very important as a parent. And it really is the primary message of my second book, Parenting Right from the Start, that you must grow yourselves in order to grow your children. Because my guess is, and I don't know for sure, because I don't know anything about your childhood, my guess is that as a young child, you were often um, in situations where you would have learned that your behavior, your performance equals acceptance. So performance equals love, performance equals safety, performance equals acceptance. And so you learned long ago when you were a little wee one, probably under the age of six, that if you did something that wasn't up to standard, wasn't the right behavior, that you would have the upset of somebody coming on to you. And not to fault your parents and get pointing fingers, your parents did it all wrong and they messed you up and they gave you this program. It was just how things have always been done. And so we Yeah, can't... mom. Listen. Right? Just kidding. Mom's <laughs> here visiting from Canada. <laughs> she can hear me. Keep going. Keep going. <laughs> so you would have learned that, which means now as an adult, even though how old would you have been on that day? Well, 40, what am I? 42? Ish. Yeah. So even though you would be in your adult 42-year-old um, mom self, we are all the ages that we have ever been, which means living inside of you is a little two-year-old you and a little three-year-old you and a little four-year-old you and a little five-year-old you and a, and a 24-year-old you. And she was great, by the way. And a 39-year-old you, right? There's all the ages that you have ever been. And so whenever we get triggered in one of those moments, we actually revert back to a childlike version of ourselves. And so in that moment, this woman who's angry at you in the shop is actually you feeling the wrath of somebody from your childhood who was not well pleased with your behavior. And wow. so you know right away, you must, so your default as a little three-year-old is to kick into, I'll make her feel Please. okay. Yeah, please her, please her, please her. For okay. everything. It'll all be fine. I promise I will make it right. I will perform for you in a way that has you accepting me. Right? Wow. So you can't, even if you're an amazing, amazing mama, you cannot but help yourself to fall deep into the hole of your programming. And that comes barfing out your mouth all over the situation rather than what I'm sure you know in your heart of hearts was that you would want to go to your daughter and you would want to make her feel safe and you would want to understand that of course this happened and of course we will get it all sorted out and cleaned up and here we go and they're there. You can't even help yourself. That is great. I, th I hope everybody just got that we have all those ages. We are all our age. Ages are living in us. I really got that viscerally because mm -hmm. I got a deeper understanding of my experience of all of Switzerland was evoking those ages because it's a, what I perceived as a very performance society. So yeah. there's a lot of like etiquette and like um, there's a lot of perfectionism in it. And I lived there in 2000 and I now I noticed this amazing contrast here. We were in 2018, how I chose that as a 2000 self. I loved it. I love the perfection of how they do their garbage and their recycling. And the whole thing was just like this magical dance to me. Right. And in 2018, it, I was having like anxiety attacks around it.
Yeah, fascinating. It was really fascinating. And so now I'm seeing even deeper what you're describing, that as a mom, that moment happened, but I was going through, you know, things that reminded me of my stepfather and because it was very military precision in my house. Um, And so it was like, if you didn't um, have your lunchbox cleared after school, you wouldn't get lunch the next day. Like it was, Wow. Yeah. So we, and so when I lived there, there was a lot of that being evoked, like the memory. So yeah, thank you for that. And I'm sure I'm hopefully not the only, (laughs) the only one listening who's going through that. Right. And I think actually the universal experience of parents, the thing that so undoes us, and we just can't quite put our finger on it until you kind of get that cracked open and, and you can make the kinds of connections that you've just made. Uh, but there really isn't anything quite like becoming a parent. Mm-hmm. Begin to really evoke those kinds of reactions in you. And what's interesting about it is You see, when you were a child, the environment around you formed your mind. And then you grew up and you became an adult and eventually a parent. And the mind formed for you by your childhood environment is now forming the environment around you as an adult. And in that environment lives your child. And so we transport this Um, our perception of reality from our own childhood into our our adulthood and then bathe our children in that perception. And it is in the act of parenting that we get triggered back into our own childlike selves because we're trying to raise up children. It's a very sort of interesting cycle, perfectly designed by nature to bring you to your knees. And you can choose... um, you know, protectionism and stagnation, or you can choose growth and freedom. Yeah, I was going to say growth and expansion. Because, okay, so this is so great what you just shared, because sitting in that room hearing you, and I want everybody to have their own moment of this, when you describe the neurological development of the child, you know, to do with attachment and connection uh, versus sort of my upbringing or my and I won't even say at my upbringing because I was going to adopt these same philosophies in my parenting. I was in the soup of that. Yes. And so there was a, a literally a break between how I've always done it and almost um, this like narrative in my head and the way we started to do it. And, and I think everyone should observe as parents, like how two partners often do it different. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about my relationship is Nat grew up in a, such a different soup wow. that it I often would frustrate me, but it would also highlight, huh, this is not necessarily right. This is just different. You know, it, it would just, the, the oppositeness of it would always bring that to my attention. Like I didn't even think of that option because that's just so far from my world. So I was already sort of seeing this contrast and then we step in and you show the the neurological development of a child who is sort of connected to parent. And then you make this, sorry, I don't want to steal your thunder because you're going to say it better, but connected to adult becomes connection to self. There was something about that that just kind of shifted my DNA and, and had me act totally different. So can you describe that what's going on for a child up to like 14? 
even. Yeah. And so in the infant brain, when a human baby is born, the brain weighs uh, about 25% of its eventual adult size. And within the first two years of life, that brain grows to be about 75% of its eventual adult size. And certainly this rapid rate of growth continues over the first several years of uh, life and on up into, as we now know, the mid to late 20s is when the human brain finally fully matures. And so when we have little ones, there's not a lot going on in the brain, uh, but the infant brain is growing rapidly. And the experiences that that brain is having are literally being soaked in up into the brain and driving the neurological architecture of the brain. Now, the basic rule of thumb is neurons that fire together wire together. And so as your baby uh, becomes distressed, which babies will do many, many, many times a day, uh, so they get hungry or their um, bum needs changing or they're tired or they're overstimulated or whatever it is, and then they'll cry. And then their big person comes and tends to them. And from the outside, the big person walks into the little person's brain. Uh, we call it the co-regulatory bridge. And so you walk from your big person brain into your little baby's brain through the act of caregiving. So your baby fired up and then you settled them down. And they fire up again and you settle them down. Like literally for an infant, you'll do that 100 plus times a day. And then they become two. <laughs> And that's a good time, right? <laughs> Their brains get really fired up because they're in this gorgeous emergent stage of development. And then they have tantrums and other things. And if you've been well-versed in this sort of um, way of connection parenting, then you will continue to step in. You will see that that behavior is really just a fired up brain. And our job is to co-regulate from the outside. So we walk across the brain bridge with our caregiving and our empathy and all of those things and settle it down over and over and over again for your two-year-old, your three-year-old, your nine-year-old, your 12-year-old. Neurons that fire together, wire together. What we're actually wiring up by gifting our child the experience of being able to depend deeply on our caregiving is the capacity for internal self-regulation. And then somewhere around- Let me just say that that's eventual, right? Because there's eventual. sort of like this thought of when they're having a tantrum, I wanna hear what a tantrum is because that helped me as well. Because my upbringing or just who I was, what I thought a tantrum was had me react in a different way. Yes. So, and, so give me that too. Yeah. So what a tantrum is, is that the child has flipped their lid. And what we mean neurologically is that they've gone limbic. And so there's the outer upper layers of the brain, which we call the upstairs brain. And then there's the center sort of downstairs part of the brain. If you were to kind of, kind of point your finger um, into your brain right above your ear and kind of angle it down about three inches in and down from there, you're going to land in the squishy downstairs brain. That's where all the emotional circuitry is housed in the brain. And we call that the foundation of the brain. Everybody knows that the secret to a solid structure is a solid foundation. And so problematically, when your foundation gets all weeble wobbly, because now you've become all limbic or emotionally undone about something, which happens regularly as a two-year-old, because you're in a stage of development that is what we call emergent. You are attempting to identify who you are and how you go in this life.
And so you've got to try a bunch of things on for size and you will routinely slam your head into the wall and run into difficulty around all of that. So it's going to be unsettling. So you're gonna go limbic and get emotional, which means the foundation becomes weeble wobbly. When the foundation becomes weeble wobbly, the structure is no longer solid. So the lid flips, that's what we call it. In the lid, the outer layers of the brain is housed logic, rational thought, and the ability to problem solve. So when your two-year-old goes limbic, they literally lose the capacity to have rational thought, to be able to problem solve, and to be able to think about things in any way other than ah! And so there is just no capacity. And because they, they are so young, and it really does take years for this internal capacity of self-regulation to develop based on repeated experiences, thousands and thousands of experiences with your caregivers crossing the brain bridge and regulating you. Um, Two-year-olds can't do it. Listen to the words. They cannot do it. And and the parenting that you may have been exposed to or maybe had sort of thinking um, through as you were uh, contemplating motherhood and, yeah. and what two-year-old tantrums were all about was that they um, would not do it. And there's a difference between will not and cannot. Yeah, yeah, got it. Good distinction. So on we go with these repeated experiences of being able to uh, be calmed by our outside world. Neurons. Sorry, fire. just a little interrupt on tension. So if a parent, so, the, so my initial thought was um, let him cry it out. You know, yeah. let that tantrum die off. Don't, don't reinforce it. Okay, good. So tell me why, what developmentally that approach was leading to. So the, the old school idea is you don't want to reward them with attention or they'll continue to repeat this behavior. But listen to the rule. Neurons that fire together wire together. And the only thing that settles the brain for the growing child is attachment. It's the only thing because they don't have the internal capacity to settle self. It is meant to happen through the relationship. We are a social species by design. It is how we operate. And so if you leave a child to cry on their own, what happens is the brain does not get settled. And so the child has become fired up. Nobody comes across the brain bridge to settle the child back down, which means that the child stays fired up neurons that fire together wire together so in abandoning your child during the time of emotional dysregulation what you're actually hardwiring into the brain is the lack of ability to self-regulate you are creating a brain that will become very very good over time at being stressed at being not so great at managing impulses and it's struggling around writing itself in the face of big emotion Okay, that just landed. So, and we're gonna, we gotta follow up something right here because the child does eventually stop crying. So that something has been, is starting to wire in. So firstly, give me what that is. And then we're gonna give parents who like me, we're on the timeout run or whatever run you're on, we've got to give some hope here because yeah. This is depression right here. So why does, why does a child actually stop the tantrum eventually, even if left alone? Yes. What's really going on? And then let's give a little hope. And we could do tantrums, tears, any kind of thing. The reason that the child eventually stops crying is not because they have been settled. 
but rather because first of all they ran out of gas it takes a lot of energy to have those tears going on like that and the second thing is they've just learned something and what they've learned is that their big people aren't going to show up what they've learned is why bother putting all the energy into this when nobody comes anyways and yet when we look at um, biologically what has happened and neurologically what has happened in those moments is the child has stopped crying but if you were to take a swab of their spit and analyze it what you would find is that even though on the outside they appear quote calm on the inside their body is coursing full of cortisol the stress hormone so the appearance of calm betrays the internal experience of incredible stress and nobody has come to support me. Holy dooly. This is huge guys. And the one thing I want to say here from my own experience is that what you just said is so profound that the way something might look from the outside doesn't reflect what's going on from the inside. It starts to rear its head later. You know, I remember my performance state of perfectionism starts to rear its state in high school. And it's, it's like deep anxiety. It, it looks like um, I, I'm the typical duck on the surface, like everything's composed. But underneath, it's like, whoa, like freaking out. I went to my high school reunion and I, there was so much emotion, like almost like this kind of cleansing thing happening, me going, actually choosing to go. And I set up my table to everyone how anxious I was in high school and my friends were like, what do you mean? You were this and you were that. And because they all saw this composed, but composure took a lot of energy. Yes. I was exhausted when I got home at the end of the day and the anxiety of trying to be perfect. Um, and, and yeah, I just felt like the whole world was looking at me 24 seven. I was never off. It was like all my cells were on hyperdrive. Forever. Because to be loved, you had to be on. Perfect. Yeah, exact, exhausting. And Switzerland kind of evoked some of that. Like came back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, triggered it I, again, on, on, on. And so, okay, give some hope here though. No matter where you are in the parenting journey, maybe there is, if there's no hope, don't say it, but just give us hope. Give us hope. Well, here's the hope. You can start parenting right from the start at any point in your child's journey. You can even start it, and I have witnessed the power of this, with your adult children. It is never, ever, ever too late. And here's the reasons why. First of all, neuroplasticity, the brain's openness to external influence from the world around is alive and well across the lifespan. You can be 92 years old and we can rewire the inner layers of your brain through the power of relationship. So it is never, ever, ever too late to get started on this. So no matter how old your children are, um, I would encourage you to take a look at what has been your foundational approach to child raising and where might that benefit from some um, deep internal uh, review uh, so that your kids get the best possible shot. The other thing is that I have learned through my own personal experience and also through watching the journey of literally thousands of families at this point in my career, I have learned that nothing is random. Everything happens with some kind of purposeful um, value or reason behind it. It's just that we don't get to be privy to what that is. And when we can understand that everything in life happens for us and not to us, when we can see that, 
you know, somebody might be listening to this interview and just as a parent be wracked with guilt that they've spent all of this time with maybe their teenage or young adult kids doing it wrong. <laughs> and I had a mom actually at a workshop last week say to me, you know, it's really unfortunate that my older children never got to benefit from this approach to parenting. And I stopped her and I said, but is it? Can you know 100% for sure that that was unfortunate? because you can't. You can't know what lesson you pulled out of all of that as a parent. You can't know what lesson your child pulled out of all of that as a parent. I mean, even listening to your story today, you became a mom and you're landing in all this profound understanding of sort of how the human psyche goes and grows. And now you're sharing it with who, who knows how many people are gonna listen to this interview and feel their lives change. Can we really say beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was unfortunate. And so if you can just surrender to that, and uh, and I always say, you just got to keep the faith. And if your listeners could hear us, I'm like pumping my fist in the air. She you is doing that. <laughs> and know that um, you can heal yourselves and heal your families at any point in your journey. So rest into the assurance of that. And there's no limit. We'll see. Wow. My mom would love that because <laughs> she keeps telling me, she's like, well, look what it evoked for you. It, yeah. So, and it's true. It does. It evokes the fact that Dr. Vanessa and I actually went to the same, we did the same degree at university. That's how we discovered our connection. Um, and I, that wouldn't have happened if I didn't experience the heightened feelings that I did from an early age. Um, and so you're exactly right. So that my care, um, and therefore it was not unfortunate and it allows me to have a different experience of parenting to question things more. Um, we've, it was so funny. We had a moment this morning and I was like, I think this is hilarious that this is happening right before I have this interview because it was around, um, being staunch. Right. Okay. So like, what's my human question going to be here? By the way, all the questions I told Vanessa is going to ask, we just didn't do that because when it's natural, it flows, we just run with it. But this morning I had said clearly, you know, in the getting dressed bit, um, I, it was a quick thing actually, mom, can I wear these pants? We live in Australia. It's very hot. It was like, no, Jordy pick some shorts. She was onto it. Then her other mom comes in the room, has no idea the background, <laughs> and she goes, for mom, can I wear these pants? And so I could feel myself, what is this about? You know, is me being staunch, like, what's that, who's that? Who, like, who am I trying to be right for, basically? And so it's great just to have those moments of space to reflect. And I just said to Jordan, you know, George, the one thing that kind of got me, I think, in this situation is that, why did you then ask mom to do, why, when I said that, why did you ask mom? Cause she didn't even make a big deal. She was actually trying on shorts. And all she said was, but mom, this is the only thing that matches. <laughs> I love her. Yeah. So it was like, <laughs> like, hello mom, this is, and by the way, it was her outfit from the Christmas concert. So it's even more hilarious more better. as you do. So my last question is dependence independence. So in your new book, and I just want people to really get the value of reading your, this recent book and you're coming out to Australia to speak as well, by the way, are you speaking in many cities or Brisbane? Yeah. So I'm in Perth, uh, Brisbane, Sydney, and Melbourne. 
Okay, so I'm going to get your dates and put them in the show notes for people so that they know um, how to sort of register with that. Awesome. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I'll get that from, who's your girl? Is it Tara or Ta- what's her name? Tara. Tara. She's funny. Tara, she's like, you're, you're, I don't know if she's your PA, but she's got spunk like you. So it's really great. And she'll love that we're being talked. She's being talked about. Anyway, dependence, independence. So give us me a quick thing here because Jordan goes to Montessori. They really foster independence. I feel that this is actually more aligned than making it this dichotomy. So talk to me about um, this idea of independence and dependence that you talked about. Mm -hmm. So we have this love affair currently in our parenting pop culture with independence. If your baby's not sleeping through the night by six weeks of age, then you go to the doctor and they say, ta-ta-ta, they need to be learning how to self-soothe back to sleep. If children, we have this phrase that you should not do for a child what they can and should do for themselves. You know, like you hear it. Yeah. yeah, Yes. It's all around in our culture. And we've co-opted that phrase from Montessori to just throw in our children's faces uh, to try and make them do stuff. But let me paint a, a scenario for you to really drive the point home. So let's say we have a child who has just learned to walk. Let's say they're 15 months old. And they toddle on up to you, and we're going to give you scenario A and scenario B. So scenario A is they toddle on up, they put their hands up in the air, and they say, up, uppy. And you have the idea that independence reigns supreme above all else. Because heaven help us if I'm still carrying you when you are 16 years old. So you say to your child, sweetheart, you have two legs that work perfectly well. You may walk there yourself. Off you go. So that's scenario A. Scenario B is your child tells that puts our hands up in the air and says, Uppy, and you can hardly contain yourself. You don't care about any of this independence BS. You scoop your child up and you say to them, I'd love to carry you. I remember when you were a little baby and I got to carry you all day and you were squishy and warm and you smelled so good and he loved it and I'd love to carry you. He lives into the question. Of these two children, or these two scenarios, which child will first walk there with their own two feet? And in the name of time, I'm going to give you the answer. Mm-hmm. It's the first child. That's the truth. The first child who's had independence shoved upon them will first walk there with their own two feet. Okay, second question. Very important you listen to the wording. Of these two children, which child will first desire from somewhere deep inside their soul to walk there with their own two feet and it's going to be this second child because what's going to happen one day is they're going to toddle on over to you and you're going to misread the situation and you're going to go in for the swoop and scoop and it's going to be not what they wanted and they will be indignant and they'll put their little probably two-year-old hands on their hips and slam their little two-year-old foot into the ground and then they're going to say three magic words me do self And you, because you're not a helicopter parent, you're going to look at them and you're going to see, yeah, you do. Look at you go on with your bad self. You go walk or whatever. And so that's the child who's become fully emergent. That is what true independence looks like. But you don't get to true independence through a forced mimicry of independence. You get to true independence out of having been given the gift of deep dependence. Okay, I cannot show this podcast to Nat. 
she's going to feel so validated. It's not even funny. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh my God. I literally am thinking, oh, you just, so you've got Sarah as an A, Nat as a B. Um, but thank you so much, Nat. I'm going to hear it from you, but I do love the, you, you, I, it's funny. I just translated the word. The child has choice versus force but you said another word what did emergent what did you they say? are emergent and it really is the difference between power born of a nurturing space and force born of sort of role and mimicry sure and so Correct. we want to really we just parents in all the land just chill out you need to take a back seat and watch the force that is child development. Like I double dog dare you to stop it. You cannot. Mm. So you don't have to force it. You don't have to will it into being by all of this ridiculous, like do this and you can't do this because I can't be carrying you when you're 16. I promise you, they're not gonna want you to carry them when they're 16 or to carry their backpacks for them when they're 16 or to sleep in your bed when they're 16. Like just get over all of it and then watch development uh, happen and knock your socks off. Wow. Wow. So here's what I think about you, girl. You are so disruptive, but here's your power. You do it with like, we call it the velvet sledgehammer. This is our sport mm. analogy. And that. somehow it's like you love people into it enough to actually let it happen mm. instead of feel defensive. Mm. And like you want to fight back. Cause I got, I've got that in me, but mm. I didn't feel that at all with you. I've just, Thank you so much for having the understanding, the knowledge, but also the compassion, mm. the realness. Your stories are hilarious. So I'm going to put in the show notes. People have to go watch you because if you, I don't know if you're telling this story, but she opens with some story about her kid that will just knock off all your defenses. It's so hilarious. <laughs> it's so great. And so thank you so much for taking the time. I know you have a thing tonight and um, yeah, appreciate your time. Thank you. I loved every second of it. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Don't forget to join the community at bit.ly slash the Nat and Sarah show to download your three-step journal and participate in weekly lives found only in our private group. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You've got to rate and review the show. And I know all the podcasts are always asking this. And in the past, I wasn't doing it. And the reason I wasn't doing it is because I actually didn't know how to do it. So open your podcast player and click on our show from your library, not the listen now. That's where I was going wrong in the past. So now that you know how to do it, when you go there, make sure you give us a five-star review. Five stars, five stars, five stars. And then click on write a review link to actually write a review so that you can tell other people that we're legit and even funny, maybe a bit serious. So if you want to recommend this to someone, you have to put your fingers on the keys and send us a review. Thanks.